0: This is episode 58 with Scott Ratliff. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer turned personal performance coach. Each week, it is my goal to bring you a unique story of an elite athlete's mindset to help you unlock and discover your life's potential. And boy, today you guys are in for a treat. I sat down with Scott Ratliff, who is a going on eight years in the professional lacrosse league formerly known as the Major League Lacrosse. He's from Atlanta, Georgia. He was able to grow as the sport grew down there, found himself attending uh, Loyola University up here in Baltimore, where he ultimately went on to go win a national title. Fast forwarding into being a first round draft pick, he's developed into a multi-time all-star in the professional level but he talks a lot about how being a multi-sport athlete through high school really helps better prepare him for that success. Self-belief for him was a key factor in his success and seeing how it was possible through his dad's own journey was another key factor. This was a really great conversation, one of my favorite that I've had so far on the show. So I'm really excited to bring on Scott here and for you all to have the opportunity to learn from him because he has a lot of great takeaways. So without further ado, please welcome on Scott. Ratliff, backdoor
1: cut and finish. Scott Ratliff, always a threat on the offensive end, gives Atlanta the early 2-0.
0: Scott, well, first and foremost, welcome. I appreciate your time. Appreciate you having uh, you on here. Give us a little bit of background on your career in the cross. How did you get started? Because I know it's not, like you mentioned, it's not big down south where you're from.
1: Um, so yeah, I've been playing lacrosse my, my entire life. I've, uh, I feel, um, feel old. I just finished my eighth season of professional lacrosse. So it's been, uh, it's been that long at, at, the pro level. My dad, my father played, uh, college across the university of Maryland. And it's definitely one of these sports that is a family sport and tons of, of guys and girls that, that I've gotten to know playing at the higher levels, you know, have parents or older siblings or aunts or uncles who kind of played and, and passed down the sport. So that was the case for me. My dad, um, you know, put a stick in my hands before I could walk, really. And growing up in Atlanta, it wasn't a popular sport. He, uh, it's just fun stories. I mean, he was, he would drove around all over the city looking for leagues, ended up finding one league when I was a little kid, you know, put me in it, coached me. And then kind of my story of, of growing in lacrosse is, is almost, you um, it almost mirrors with with the city down here. Like my first league was four teams, you'd play the same kids just over and over and over again. And then as I got older and got to high school, it had grown and more high schools were playing. And then by the time I'd gotten to college, it was like really starting to blow up at the high school level. And then when I finished college and kind of entered into my pro career and I, I eventually moved back to Atlanta and I started doing some coaching, it's it was one of, if not the most popular sport in most high schools down here. So it's been really, really special um, for me to get to just see the sport kind of evolve as I've continued to to play it and pursue
0: a, a life in it. So it's beautiful when you something you care so much about, especially you know, sport being one of them, you see it grow and, and impacts people the same way that it impacts you. That's why I got into coaching myself was I wanted my experiences to translate to that next generation and that's kind
1: yeah, of yeah that's exactly yeah. it and that's what you know when i played down here i had really good coaches uh, not just my dad high school coaches and mentors through lacrosse but to be completely honest like i didn't have the best experience with necessarily my teammates or just playing because it just wasn't something that people took seriously and you know i went to a really big high school outside of atlanta that was good at every sport you know baseball football basketball soccer And I wanted the lacrosse experience to be similar to those, right? I played high school football and were, you know, the expectations are high in the weight room, watching film, you know, doing all this stuff and then playing in front of huge crowds on Friday nights. And I wanted, I I recognized lacrosse wasn't going to fill our stadium, but I just wanted like teammates who cared about it in that way and where we would prepare in that way. And I never got that. And when I got to Loyola, Um, you know, I would always say that it was high school football that better prepared me to play college across because I was familiar with what that environment was like of those high expectations. So my goal, as you just mentioned, like the motivation for coaching, I just wanted to come down and help like for, for other kids who did want to take it seriously or did believe in the future in the sport. You know, I wanted to help kind of show that that was, that was possible. And, um, you know, luckily again, now it's like, it's taken that step and there's a ton of kids from down here. Um, that are going to play in college and are pursuing it in that way. So it's been really rewarding to
0: to get to be a part of that. That's a beautiful mission to be on. Uh, sure. What point or when was it that you realized, okay, not only can you play at Loyola, win a national title there, but when can you really perform at the level that you're able to play now with going on eight years down the PLL, being with the Archers? Was there yeah. a turning point?
1: Yeah, it's hard to say it, it it all kind of, uh, I was, it was all very innocent because of where I was coming from, I, or maybe, uh, maybe that's not the right word, but I just, I never, I had these dreams for sure, but I just didn't like even necessarily know that they were possible to some extent. Now my goal and my life dream was always to go play at Maryland where my dad had played and Maryland competes for national championships year in, year out. And in lacrosse prior to really recently, the same six or seven programs are pretty much, you know, you had Syracuse, Maryland, Johns Hopkins, Princeton. I think we were the eighth division one program, unique school to win a title. So like I did believe really my whole life that I could play division one lacrosse, um, you know, and that was just, a, I do think having a, a, a dad who did it, you know, I lived with somebody who, had, who did it, who played in national championship games, who wasn't all American. So Despite, you know, I was kind of a late bloomer. I was really small. I wasn't that, that great of a player until late into my high school career. But I, I never, like, I never really struggled with that belief. I just believed um, this is what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to play Division I. Um, but beyond that, you know, winning a championship and playing pro, like, that didn't even cross my mind. Like, especially when I, when I ended up landing on Loyola. Loyola's a really storied program. and is, I was always in the top 20. But, like, lacrosse wasn't on TV. You know, again, wow. outside of those like the Syracuse and the Maryland, like I didn't watch lacrosse. I didn't really. I wasn't really familiar wow. with how good Loyola was or could be. So when I committed there, I figured, okay, well, I'm I'm going to live my dream of playing Division One lacrosse, and and that's great, and I'm I was excited and proud, but I didn't realize that like I could win national championship there. I really didn't. And my freshman year, we had a pretty good team, and we made a tournament, and we were in the top ten. So that was like kind of eye opening, but we still were not on the level of going to compete for a championship and it all kind of came in a whirlwind in 2012 my junior season just we had some transfers we had you know developed a really good team I had a lot of classmates in my grade that were that were excellent and we have this kind of magical season where we go 18 and 1 and we beat Maryland and we win a national championship and my like memory of it is almost like a blur is like we just started winning and nothing could go wrong it was just like we were it was just win 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 and it was really one of those special seasons and I I finished that and I'm sitting down like taking a deep breath and I'm reflecting like, holy shit, like I I did it. <laughs> like, I won a championship. I was an All-American. Like all these goals that I had set out as a kid were coming true. And then I read an article in Inside Lacrosse, which is like the main, you know, magazine website for our sport that had me as a top, a first round draft pick in the, in the, at the time it was Major League Lacrosse um, in the upcoming draft. And that truly was the first time I ever thought about playing professionally. Like I just, again, it not being a huge league with, you know, a a ton of eyes on it. And at that that time it wasn't a really like a financial option as a full-time gig. Um, So I was familiar. I'd gone to MLL games as a little kid. Like I, you know, that's had always been in the back of my head, but I just didn't realize that I was in that class, frankly, until, you know, our team had that success and I had success. So once I read that, that kind of became real and, um, I did end up getting drafted, and I just kind of took it from there step by step, and now it feels like it's been a few weeks, but eight years later, I'm, <laughs> I'm still doing it.
0: <laughs> so you fast forward, and or you blink, and you're here. It's crazy how quick <laughs> it, that goes.
1: It's funny, because college, right, you go with the, it's the four years, and once you get past year four in pros is when it starts to feel a little real, where it's like, oh wait, this doesn't like start over. I'm just still counting up, so it is a little crazy to think that I've now had eight years doing it and, and, uh, two, two separate college experiences, but you know, I obviously wouldn't trade any of it. It's really fun.
0: Yeah. I mean, it all played a factor in who you are now, which is huge. No um, doubt. I'm a firm believer to get to where you're at. You have to have your mind in the right place. Obviously the basis of this podcast, right? Like, yep. Before you perform, before you go into the games, is there any strategies that you use to ensure That you're mentally in the right headspace before taking the field?
1: Yeah, so there's a few different things. I think, um, like, big picture for me, a lot of times it's not necessarily like my headspace on game day. A lot of times this comes in more waves of like a season or even a stretch of a season. And, you know, I just find that when things are right in my life off the field um, is when it's easiest for me to just be fully. Um, you know, submersed in what I'm doing on game day. So, you know, I I do just, I do just think about some of the different kind of ebbs and flows I've had throughout my career. And, And there's certainly like a big tie in into when I feel like I'm performing my best on the field. And when I also feel like I'm really in a good place off the field, whether that's, you know, whatever relationships or, you know, career stuff or where I'm living, or, you know, there's so many different factors that can go into that. So I try to just focus on, Um, uh, to be a cop-out answer, but on like that wholesome approach of just like, Hey, I'm, you know, if I'm in a really good place and in a really good routine and rhythm going into a season, that's going to give me my best bet of of staying there and and being able to perform at my highest level. And then on game day, um, it's easy for me mentally on game day, right? I mean, that's the fun, that's the easy part. And it's that's where you just get to kind of shut it off and do what you do and, and have fun. So I don't struggle as much mentally on game day game day becomes more about like making sure my body feels good. And every year that I get older, that becomes like a little trickier, right? It used to be like, I could eat Chipotle and drink two massive iced coffees and like, whatever, it's fine. Now, like I have to pay much more attention to the amount of sleep, what I'm putting in my body, like to just get that like adrenaline peak at the right time. Not, you know, a lot of times our games, are at night so like managing your emotions of sitting around all day and and kind of waiting that's that's kind of becomes the art of of game day for me and and my routine is just to get over to the stadium as early as i possibly can so the team bus will arrive like maybe 90 minutes before warm-ups i'll get over there four hours before and i like to just like walk around the field barefoot shoot lay in the training room if i need to take a nap so there's not it's not the same routine every time but i just like being there um, so that I have like the training room and whatever a field and all this stuff at my disposal I don't I don't like to feel rushed at all when I'm getting ready or getting taped so that's kind of been how I've been approaching it in the at least in this later part of my career as I've gotten older is is just be really thoughtful about that and, and get there early and you know button up any of the loose ends at home so that I can uh, So that I can go out there and just be fully present and, and excited about what I'm doing.
0: I love your holistic approach because I think when you get your mind, your body and your, your spirit, your soul all aligned, like that's when the magic happens. That's when flow is able to come to you. And that's really it it's gonna look different for everyone to set that stage. Yeah. That's why I love I, that question. because it, everyone has a different answer.
1: Yeah. And if anybody had the secret sauce to find in the flow state, they'd be the best at whatever they're doing. I mean, it's like, I get, I get, I find the flow state more playing lacrosse than any other part of my life, Mm. but still it's not like I can just, you know, snap my fingers and make it happen. There's just some sort of, you know, there's some sort of, of routine or, or kind of magic sauce that makes it happen and you know, good seasons, it happens more times than it does on, on the seasons where I don't play as well. So I think all of us, uh, that are, that are still playing sports, uh, at that level. And, and frankly, even if you're not, I think everybody in life is just kind of searching for, for the things that can make them feel that way. And, and I, I always try to give that advice of like anything that, that can put you in that flow state is something that you should lean into and, and do as much as you can because it's uh it's such a fun and, and healthy release. I think.
0: I was about to say, I mean, having experienced it a handful of times myself in a sports setting, you can relate to it's. Just such a freeing, like everything is just happening and it just makes sense. Um, I had a, actually a flow state expert, clinical and sports psychologist come on here. It was very interesting, like the the triggers and the stages of flow that he talked on. So it's, and even him as an expert, great advice, but it's not guaranteed. Like every time it just makes it more likely, you know what I mean? Just crazy. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yep. No, it is. It's, it's, it is. And it's really cool. And it's, uh, it's just something that I think athletes, you know, it, it's it, it, translates to me, to anything you're doing, just this idea that, right. If you have this ability to kind of think less and react more and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're moving a little bit quicker, you're thinking a little bit quicker, but it, in lacrosse, like the, the big phrase that we refer to, and it comes from, you know, it's indigenous roots is the medicine game. And, you know, playing lacrosse can be medicine. And to me, that is the medicine is, is the ability to find that state. And so it's, you know, the medicine game, although like I I do, and I could talk all day about this, feel really strongly about the spiritual ties and the sport of lacrosse. I think any sport can be medicine or, or any activity that allows you to find that because it's, you know, I talk about when things are right off the field, it's easier to get to, but, how, when when does that ever happen? I mean, there's always something, right? There's always something kind of going wrong in your life. So to have a place where you can go, where you can find like complete distraction from something and just be fully immersed, submersed in it, even if it's for an hour or two hours, that's like my whole life. That's what lacrosse has been for me. If if something's not right, I go get a stick, I go find a wall, you don't have to play a game. And And I do think the creative aspect to the sport where there's there's no like perfect way to do something, you know, you, everybody's kind of different. Everybody's stick is different. There's a million different ways you can throw a pass. Um, I, I think that helps a little bit with it as well. Um, is it's just such a creative game and if you're not like fully present in it, you're going to get hit in the face with the ball. You're going to you know drop a pass. So you really, it really forces you to be there. Um, and, and I think that that helps to find that, that flow state. And, and again, I think that helps to heal you, uh, you know, with whatever you're going through, I think it's good to have like an escape. And, and it's not to say that you go run away from your problems there. But you know, your body needs and your brain needs a break sometimes. And so I think that's what it has always been for me.
0: Yeah, um, the I think the turning point for my career, personally, was when i was able to realize like the power and hitting pause on everything around me, and just the structure that that swim practice actually provided for me. That's yep. probably the same. That's exactly what you're referring to with the cross being your medicine. It was I think, great. <laughs> I think it, it
1: hit me in and in I had a really tough time. My freshman year at Loyola, I got into a bunch of trouble without going into too much detail As myself and I had five roommates and all six of us were awaiting a hearing process with the school. And of course, you know, I'm 18 years old and freaking out and what, what's going to happen. And at that point, and I was really blessed to not face a ton of adversity in my life. Like this was one of the first like really, really challenging, you know, month long stretches. And and it was like, all I could think about all day, every day was what's gonna happen. Am I gonna get suspended? Am I gonna, you know, am I gonna get kicked out of school? And and it was consuming me and making me, you know, so unhealthy and probably borderline depressed. And that's when I, it really hit me in that month, I was still going out to practice. We weren't allowed to play in games. And that, like those two hours were the only part of my day that I liked, right? And I, then I started to realize like, okay, I can, you know, I have this escape every day. I can, I can manage the time around it and I can use that to look forward to it. And so my, my relationship with the sport in that way and the understanding of, of the flow state and how it helps, you know, and how it can serve as medicine, it just came from experience through adversity, right? And obviously as you get older and older, more of that starts to hit. Um, and it's kind of always been the thing I go back to is just you know play that game and believe in it and its healing powers and um, again so far so good for me
0: yeah I think so much of that and the longer you play obviously you can speak to this my career ended at senior year of college it was over Um, I didn't go to the Olympics or anything like that so I think the longer you get into it the more solid of a pillar that becomes in your life as you're probably have learned it's pro. You need, not need, but when lacrosse is going well, everything else goes well. Yep. And it, they just play off of one another. Yep. Life becomes good that way. Right.
1: That's right. That's a perfect way to describe it. I'm I'm dealing with it right now, man. I so much of my year, you know, builds up towards the season. Mm. And our our season last season normally were June through September. You know, they announced whatever it was sometime in March that we're not, you know, we're going to do a bubble tournament in July. So then the off season got extended by three months and I was in this great routine and, you know, eating right and exercising and have this kind of North star that I'm super focused for to perform at my peak level. Then the season ends and, you know, I, I went on a camping trip for a couple of weeks and that was all great. But now that I'm kind of back and trying to like, you know, put back the pieces and the season's not, you know, anywhere in sight, it becomes hard to like, figure out like, okay, what, it, you know, what is it that's motivating me right now? Or what is it that like, is going to keep me leaning into these habits? And so it's something I've been meditating on quite a bit here recently is just how do I find that same level of kind of discipline and, and um, um, rhythm in my life when there isn't like this, you know, immediate season right in front of me that, uh, that I can kind of use to, to guide that.
0: I love that. What's coming up? When you're think when you're meditating on it and what you're thinking of, is it coaching? Is it kind of the other you know, stuff that you it's, got going on? It's
1: or? always been for me that it's some of the other things. And I think what I've what I've realized is for four straight seasons I've traveled for for um, internationally for a large part of the fall. Like I've gone for a month, usually a month to six week trip. I get back through our foundation. We have another trip that we do annually on Halloween. Like then I'm gone on that. It's like, it's always felt like, and then I've got this string of coaching tournaments in November that I travel for that are up in the Northeast. And so I think it's always been like, I finish a season, you know, I do all this traveling, I do some writing, I do this nonprofit work. And then by the time I'm like back and breathing, I'm in Atlanta and and my high school season's coming up. And then like, that almost marks the start of me training again for my season. So I think what's throwing me off is just a little bit with COVID. And you know, no international trip. We again, I did do this this camping trip, but here I am. Our season's not usually even done till September, right? And so here I am, kind of late August, getting home and realizing like I have no trips. I've got less coaching than I ever have. Again, because of COVID, there's there's some going on down here, but but not as much. Um, so you know, I, I'm more than anything when I meditate on it, I think I I re- one recognize it and just realize that I, I just need to continue to make sure I am pushing and pursuing in some of these other paths that do give me the same fulfillment and the same motivation every day, but also just to not take it for granted. Like I, you know, is it the worst thing in the world to not wake up and, and be super busy every day, you know, even if it's just for a, a period of time, a, a season. So, you know, I, I think I'm I'm trying to lean into it a little bit and just enjoy it, enjoy the downtime and, and uh, just realize that this isn't like When you're in it, sometimes it can be annoying, but it doesn't come around that often where I feel like my biggest problem is too much time on my hands. So, um, so I'm going to try to take advantage of it. I think.
0: Yeah. it's always tough when that timeline that you have expected is just literally thrown out the window, especially in this case, because no one saw this coming. Right. And none, we have no control over it really. And yeah, I think that's huge. I was talking with a friend Earlier today, actually, we were talking about the dangers of free time for athletes, especially you can find yourself in a lot of trouble if you don't know how to, to manage it, because we never have it. You know what I mean? Yep, that's exactly right. So what are some things now that I guess you've looking back on your career and where you're at, are there like two, three things that you can kind of pinpoint? Skills wise that have gotten you here when you're reflecting?
1: Yeah, I think I mean this is something I over the years have reflected on a lot and probably come up with different answers every time, if I'm being honest. But um, there there are a few things that that I think were, were really important. So a lot of the the lessons that I feel like have been the most impactful for me in terms of like a mindset standpoint specifically. I mean, I could say with lacrosse, but and something that I'll probably get into is to me it, it all applies whether it works for lacrosse it works for life it works for any other sport um and the first one was just you know that like my initial way of describing it is just saying like belief but from the time I was a, a really little kid my mom stressed visualization to me and you know she she and she would tell it in such an obvious way as if and, and I think now it's becoming more kind of mainstream for people to be into the mental side of things and the visualization and all that. But at the time I, I don't think it was quite as much. And, and I remember her telling me a story. I was probably in fourth grade, you know, when I first really was like playing competitive tennis and whatever, like started really getting into sports. And she said, the, the most winning college football coach of all time. Uh, I don't know his name is a guy who coached at a division two school called St. John's in Ohio. Um, and he one one day a week for his entire like 60 year career. His team would practice in a dark gym, tape up all the windows. They'd lay down in a completely black gym, and they would do the entire practice in their head. So he would yell out a segment. He would have the guys visualize where they'd be running on the field for that drill segment. You know, the quarterback would yell out a snap count, and then everybody would run the play in their head mentally. And, you know, we talked about how it would save their bodies and how the brain, you know, if you visualized hard enough, you would feel the adrenaline and your brain could trick your body that you're essentially, you're getting the reps without putting your body through the wear and tear. So, so she, in a a more eloquent and and like bedtime story manner, like would tell me that story and made sure I understood that. And so, you know, I tell people like, there's not anything that I've accomplished in the cross that I didn't see myself accomplishing thousands of times growing up. I mean, I like to almost to a T, I would say two-time All-American, two-time captain, national champion. Like I would say that just over and over and over again, there's a million different little school projects that my mom has where that was my answer. That was my answer. That was my answer. So that was a, a massive part of it for me was like this commitment to visualizing what I wanted for a, like <laughs> for a long time. And and every night, you know, that's kind of how I would fall asleep at night was, was just going to my brain and watch highlights of myself <laughs> playing lacrosse. So that was a big one to start. Um, you know, the second one, and again, it, it comes from a moment with my mom, was when I was trying to pick colleges, I I was committed to go to NAPS, and, and then I was going to go into the Naval Academy from there, and it was the only offer I had, and the truth was, like, I was able to wrap my mind around being in the Navy and doing it. Um, I wouldn't have picked that had it not been my only offer, but I was, you know, kind of convincing myself that this is what was right, and I got an offer from Loyola really, really late. It was spring break, my senior year, so I was literally a few weeks away from leaving for Naps because you go there in the summer. And you know, my dad was a big fan of of the idea of Navy and Naps. For one, it's it's free, and Loyola is like sixty thousand dollars a year. So that right there was a was a, a major impact. And, and uh, but on top of that, of course, you know, he just understood how great of a you know the academies are and and what they set you up for in life and all all of those things. So. I was having a hard time when I got the offer from Loyola. Uh, I knew in my heart right away what I wanted to do. I didn't want to go to prep school. I wanted to go, and that was more than even the military thing. That was the biggest thing. Was I felt like I was ready, maturity-wise, academically, and as a lacrosse player, I felt like I was just ready to be in college. Um, but my dad was like, you know, still kind of like, hey, don't be so quick to, let's think about it. Let's talk about it. He was, you know, yeah, I maybe I'll give you the money that you save me. Sort of approach to. To trying to kind of keep me on the na- on the navy train and my mom told me at that time in my life trust yourself and that has come back up really in every major decision point and there's been you know i was working in banking and do i quit lacrosse and be a banker do i quit banking and pursue lacrosse and just different kind of big decision times that advice always rings true of just like at the end of the day advice and especially from the people you care about most can be really conflicting but i think the greatest use for advice is to show you it just tells you what you really believe you know the second you hear somebody's advice you know whether or not you want to take it and you know i i, I kind of learned in that moment from that advice of, of trust yourself in these decisions i, I kind of learned how to listen to my own intuition and that led me to loyola which obviously you know led to great success in lacrosse and and that has again come up a, a couple times so yeah. That was the second one was, you know, that combination of just, again, the visualizing my dreams and then this, like, believe in them, believe in myself, trust myself, you know, be that, that skill to be able to just shut out everybody else's voice and and just really go with, with my gut and my intuition on things. Um, You know, that was huge. And, and that's huge in like overcoming doubt. And, you know, I didn't get recruited. I didn't have, you know, a crazy, illustrious high school career. um, But I believed in my heart that I had, you know, was special in lacrosse and again I I wouldn't really let anybody else kind of overpower that and then I think the third one is just um, is just to to be resilient I think resiliency is uh, is the key to success in anything and you know I I love telling people like here I am you know I've had enough accolades and you know I won a national championship and somebody could read you know could read my resume on paper and you would think man this guy that's just won all this stuff in the cross, like, I've lost a million more times than I've won, you know, and whether that's lost games, lost matchups, lose out on awards that I was hoping to win. I mean, it's just like you get, you lose so much more than you win when you play a high level sport of any kind. And, and that's what sport teaches you is how to overcome it, overcome it, overcome it, stick with it right? And and it doesn't matter what you do in life, that's how you find success is you have to run into failure, learn from it, go find the next failure, run into that, learn from it, go find the next one. And so again, I both my parents, um, my mom in particular, just really helped me to learn and to understand that. And, you know, as I think back, I think that's been, you know, I didn't have a great first two years in pro lacrosse, and I easily could have taken that as though this isn't my path. Um, But it was like habitual for me to just refuse to believe that and to stick with it. And Again, that seemed to uh, to pay off, but I'm in a little bit of a a playoff drought right now. So um, hopefully, uh, hopefully, I'm in that phase, and a a championship streak is is on the horizon right now.
0: (laughs) Dude, I mean, listening to your story, you just have to manifest it, start seeing it, get clear on it.
1: Exactly. It's so funny
0: how the universe works in that way, right? Like if you if you have ultimate clarity on what you want, whether it's life, sport, doesn't matter. The clearer you are on that. And if you can feel it here, then your actions start to align with it. And everything just clicks. Totally. Life becomes simple. Yep. It's not that's that a, complicated. It's, exa-
1: it's exactly right. And it's funny how there's moments where that can seem so obvious. And then there's moments where that can just seem completely lost on us. And that's where, again, having, um, having a sport in your life and a lot of, I know what, what you do and teach and, and myself as well is, Using fitness or sports to teach these life skills that are so applicable, and you know, you, uh, I find especially with kids, it's really easy to give a kid an example of, hey, look, you, you were getting beat up on by this attackman all game long, you stuck with it, and then in the big moment you got to stop. Well, let's you know, let's then take that and compare that to life, right? Like you're, you had this string of things go wrong for you, but if you stick with it and approach it the same way, like the win is on the other side. So I love like just that metaphor. Of, of using what you learn in, in sports for any you know any sort of adversity in life.
0: So I say it's the whole basis of what both of uh, both of us do. It's it's a common language. It just makes sense. It doesn't matter that I've never my, the extent of my lacrosse playing days, even growing up in Maryland, was a like two week middle school PE class little uh, segment on it. That was the only yeah. time I ever like. stick with intention but we can have this kind of conversation and we relate to one another
1: and and it doesn't it 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 extends beyond even just athletics like you 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 speak with a a great leader in business and you ask him the question like what were the three qualities that helped you get here and you're going to hear the same sort of stuff well I had to be resilient I you know I had to overcome doubters I had to believe in my vision like it's the same things and you know my mom and I work together in the leadership development space and she's had a, you know, this successful career in human resources, and now is an executive coaching consultant. And then I obviously come in with this kind of athletic approach and background. And what we found as we started working together, and we've been, you know, for the last five years or so now is when we go into our corporate clients, even though she's got this, you know, wealth of knowledge and experience there, they, they are often more excited or interested to hear from me, and they want to hear my sports stories. And my. You know, my was down at halftime and came back, and this is what we were thinking about. And then when we've gone in, we've worked with the Green Bay Packers or Georgia Tech athletics, and we go into um, these sports environments, and they want to hear from my mom because they're like, "Well, we already we're doing the same thing that you're already doing, but what is a business have as a you know how does a CEO think through these sort of problems and solutions?" So it's like those worlds cross in a way that you know one side just has a different metaphor for teaching the same lesson as the other side has so it was really funny because our our initial thought was like, oh, I do sports and you do business and we come together. And then we realized like, OK, well, maybe I'm just going to start sending mom to all the lacrosse programs and I'll go talk to all the HR <laughs> reps and, and we'll switch it up that way. So that's been a, an interesting takeaway from kind of entering into that world a little bit.
0: Yeah. One thing I've learned throughout the years is some, it doesn't matter what your message is. Sometimes you're not the one that's meant to deliver it that right accent. you could have the perfect advice but if you h- walk into a room like the green bay pack they're gonna be like dude
1: yeah.
0: no i'm not listening yep. to you i don't, don't yep. want to hear what you have to say i want to hear from from her yep yep so
1: it's good <laughs> it's good to. it's like it's it's good to have humility around that though and and uh um it's just been really fun to kind of get to experience that and and to just see how again you can go into i mean i, I can go into and work with a sixth grade Basketball player and and we'll sit there and talk about you know his his habits around self-talk and starting to doubt himself when adversity or circumstances start to show it and then the next day I've got a call with you know an executive at mercedes benz and it's almost an identical conversation and it's just like and, and it's not the intelligence of anybody that's it's just that it's the same lessons that you know we we first off, aren't really taught formally unless we're lucky enough to have parents that, you know, do that, which I think more and more so that's, again, becoming popular, but, but certainly is, is not in every situation. Um, and then it's also just you need reminders like throughout the course of your life. And that's where, again, having great coaches and people to kind of come in in those times that can hold you accountable. And it, my mom always says it's not about what you know, it's about what you can do. Right, So much of it isn't like it's this crazy complicated, I have some secret mindset potion. It's just like this reminder of like, you need to talk to yourself. You need to be resilient. You need to like stick with it, you know, and and just getting those reminders from the right places sometimes can make all the difference they definitely have for me at, at, you know, when I've needed it the
0: most. Yeah, I was about to say that's the biggest help, right? When we can admit that we don't have all the answers and we can lean on some people around us to support us in various ways, whether it's a coaching role, whether it's just a teammate, like it all goes a long way in what we're trying to do. No doubt, no doubt. I want to talk about your Give and Go Foundation because I love yeah. I love the, the mission behind it. It's inspiring because that's very similar to what I eventually want to do with swimming yep. is kind of delivering the same thing that you're doing. So what inspired you to kind of go that route?
1: yeah so my i think my you know f- desire to be in philanthropy and nonprofit profit work has has always been there and and i think is for everybody and just having a caring heart and you know i was lucky enough to come from you know a comfortable childhood and and privileged in a lot of ways and have two really good parents that were that were always there for me and were able to support and provide and all these things and so you know i community service was kind of a part of, of of my childhood and something my parents always you know made sure that that my sister and I engaged in but it was really at Loyola that I think cultivated like much more of a passion for it um and and I had a teammate named TJ Harris who uh started this thing at Loyola called homeless hookups. And it was, I just was so inspired by like his initiative with it. He, it it turned into by the time we were seniors and graduated, it was a fully funded school organization. When he started it, it was literally just him going to CVS, buying, you know, toilet paper and toothbrushes and toothpaste and things like that. Going down to the areas where the homeless lived in Baltimore, park his car, he'd set up a table, he'd bag up all the stuff and then people would come through and he would he was, what was so amazing is he would talk to every one of them. It wasn't just like, Hey, you can have this. It was, Hey, what's your name? You know, where are you from? How'd you end up in a situation? How is there things that we can do to help you here? And then take these, you know, these supplies. And so he started, you know, getting guys in the lacrosse team to come down. And again, like over time, you know, eventually everybody on the lacrosse team had gone. I started going quite a bit with them. And then again, we went to the school, we ended up getting funding. I say we, he, um and it turned into this club that you know now outside of the lacrosse team like people were participating in and community service was just it was a huge part of the mission at loyola the you know the jesuit education like it is at the forefront of it um and i just had that being the main one but there were others like i just had a lot of really moving experiences um you know through that like tj ended up we would when we would play home games at ridley there would be five you know homeless people in the front row he would get them train tickets to come up from baltimore to come watch our games leaving tickets to the games like seeing the relationships he cultivated with them was meaningful and powerful to me so that was i think where like the initial seeds were planted um you know then as i was playing professional lacrosse it was really organic i was traveling with some of my teammates and friends in the off season as i've mentioned and everywhere we were traveling we were setting up free lacrosse clinics like they play lacrosse pretty much everywhere now And, um, in a lot of the countries we were traveling to, uh, Europe and Asia specifically, it really reminded me of what Atlanta was like when I was a kid. Like it wasn't a sport that people are taking seriously, but like they know it and there's leagues and they're playing it. Um, so like they just need a little bit of a push, like just kind of, um, to like, you know, Hey, take this seriously. There's national teams you can play on. There's world games you can go to all the impact that that can do for people's health, right? Like a lot of the guys we, we were coaching early on and girls were our age were college at a college. It was, you know, it was their hobby. Um, but we would still, we'd go, we'd teach them and we'd see the impact and the, and the people would, the people it would maybe not everybody, but there's always a few people at each clinic who, like really need this in their life and need this community and need this, uh, you know this activity to push them and, and things like that so we started to just believe in the value of it you know even if it's it's kind of a uh, for lack of a better phrase a hobby for for some of these people in these countries um, just encouraging them to get the most out of it and, and learn about it and and then share it with you know younger people in their community and they can be the ones that start the league and champion the sport so we're doing this and and part of it too is just fun like if you're going to Germany and you're going to do all the tourist stuff or you can go coach a lacrosse practice give back to the locals and then they're going to take you out and show you around and you're going to get an experience of you know a local as opposed to a tourist which was something we're really interested in in our travels so for about two years we probably ran 20 clinics you know just we're bringing our sticks we're showing up on the field and whatever state of mind we're we're in at the time and we're just having fun and we're you know whatever uh hanging out with the whoever showed up to play with us. And then we decided to formalize it after about the second year. Um, we had gone down to Nicaragua with a organization called lacrosse nations, which it's in a really, really impoverished part of Managua um, in Nicaragua. And they're essentially running after-school programs through lacrosse. And this started cool stories, actually, Brad Corrigan, who is a, the drummer in the band dispatch with a high school lacrosse player, him and another lacrosse player went down to Nicaragua on a surfing trip kind of found this community that was that was built into the side of a city dump okay and they would they would the people who lived in this community would would dig out glass and things from the dump and then go sell it aluminum stuff like that so they were literally just digging through trash and they invent they were building these little poles that looked like lacrosse sticks they were like a little bottle on like a broomstick that they would use to like shovel the glass and then throw it over to the pile that they were going to go sell and these guys saw that and were like, "Those are lacrosse sticks. Like, they, we should they should be playing lacrosse here." So that was the birth of this nonprofit lacrosse to nations, and that was twenty years ago, fifteen years ago. You go there now; it's really healthy functioning after school program at two schools in that community. About forty kids in the program that come after school. They do lacrosse practice, and they're good, man. Like they're you go there, and like there's a team of high school kids there. In their rules, they don't play with pads. They play like. Five on five, no pads. Everybody jumps in the cage that could beat like most of my, like American kids at that age. I mean, they've been playing so long there, and it's become such a big part of it. And they're able to provide this service for free. None of these families can, you know, have after-school activities for the kids. And so, going down there and and seeing that, and kind of seeing this other side of it, of like, okay, so we've experienced now and the, the the grow the game and communities where, you know, they're not poverty stricken, but they do need little leadership in the sport and inspiration. And now we're seeing like third world country after school program, you know, we're not trying to train world games players here, we're just trying to give kids an outlet and teach them some life lessons that they can learn through the sport of lacrosse and help them overcome these really challenging circumstances they have. So the combination of seeing all that um, when we went down there, just being professional cross players and sharing a bunch of it on social media, we got feedback from that organization that they had had their best fundraising month in quite some time. So that was like the aha moment where we were like, okay, we could easily just act as a a fundraising platform, and we could through our travels, we know the organizations all over the world that are doing a good job and are building the game the right way and all that, and then we can kind of allocate funds and equipment or send coaches to these places. So. It started really organically like that we um we were on like a three-week trip through south america we coached in nicaragua costa rica down in argentina we came up with this name give and go you know part of it was not just the give back to the communities but also you know if we could inspire other coaches to travel and to coach while they travel um there's like massive value in that on the american side of things as well like if you know to have that life experience of again, getting to travel, but then also when you're there, giving back to that community, like really getting to know that community. We've stayed with lacrosse players in all of these countries that I've mentioned and and spent holidays with them and been treated like families. And it's some of the most rewarding experiences in my life have come from it. So that's kind of the second side of the organization is, yes, let's use our platform, let's fundraise money, let's support, and, and not just internationally, but in the States too, we've supported programs in inner city Nashville and Chicago and Detroit Um, you know, any program that's, that's underserved financially, we want to be there equipment, finances, free coaching and education, that sort of thing. Um, but we also want to get more American Canadian college players, retired players, anybody that wants to go coach, you know, call us up, tell us where you're going. We'll get you set up with a clinic, you know, we'll, we'll throw you a stipend. We'll throw a bag of gear on your back to take over there and donate with you and, and kind of help give that experience to some some, some travelers, I think is was kind of the second part of what inspired us. So that was almost three years ago now that we started it and it's kind of taken its own path from there. You know, when you dive into an endeavor like this, a lot of times like we say the initiatives find us, you know, people reach out and call us and here's what we need, here's how you can help. And so we've gotten to do a lot of really, really cool things through that and what we're working on currently is a scholarship fund um, that we're actually gonna announce Today's Friday, I don't know when this is gonna go out, but on Monday. Um, and, uh, you know, we're gonna scholarship uh, one one black player um, here in the United States and one indigenous player into whatever program um, that, that, that they're playing in. And so again, you know, just in the wake of everything that's been going on in our world, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, felt inspired to, to do something actionable to try to support and help that community and bring more diversity in the sport. And then the indigenous, um, you know battle with the cross is one that's that's in our world well documented. It's their game. And you know right now they're being blocked out from the world games in 2022 and, and looking forward potentially from the Olympics in 2028. Um, and it's you know to, to us who play the game, you know, if they can't play, nobody should get to play. I mean, the, the game is, is, is their gift to us. And, and so, you know, doing something again to just in turn go back and support that lacrosse community and, and be able to tell the story of lacrosse to people who may not know that that's where the game comes from. And that, you know, frankly, that, you know, the Iroquois nation is still strong. You know, there's, there's five or six of the best lacrosse players in the world are, you know, from the reservation. And I think like a lot of Americans are completely you know aloof to the fact that you know how how powerful and strong the native american culture still is and and that it does still exist and and so you know we want to try to highlight that and support that community as well and so those have been kind of the uh the two endeavors that we're we're mo- most focused on at this moment
0: i love it man you got a beautiful story obviously Absolutely. your background amazing stuff but i think more importantly is what you have recognized in the world around you and the power of just human connection and sharing all of the experiences that you have had with anyone and everyone that will listen to you. Yep. Uh, that reflects very highly of you. So I appreciate the time. I appreciate getting, con- being able to connect with like-minded people like yourself. Um, what's next for you? I know you mentioned the scholarship stuff. Um, but where can those people listening in here kind of keep up with you with everything you got going on?
1: Yeah, no, first off, I, I appreciate it as well. really enjoyed this conversation and, and following you. So thank you for for inviting me and having me on. And, and we got to shout out TJ there for uh, course, for connecting us my my high school coach and definitely an important person in my life. Um, what's next, man? I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing this afternoon. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's one o'clock on a Friday. I told you I'm. Looking for direction? No, I, I, you know, as I've meditated a little bit on this fall, like giving go is something that I'm going to lean into. You know, we really stopped doing a lot during COVID because you know there were more pressing issues I think afoot. But um, just trying to recommit, trying to get these scholarships off the ground. I'm actually looking into. I've, I've been in touch with a, a program in Mexico City for years, and they've been begging me to to get out there, and that's the only place you can really go right now internationally. So. I'm going to see if I can't figure out a way into Mexico here in the, in the next month or two. And, um, whether, it, whether it's a clinic or even if it's just go drop off a bunch of gear and practice my Spanish. Um, I, I think that's probably on the horizon, but, uh, no, yeah, pe- people can follow along. Just social media is the best for me, probably in Sky Ratliff Two on, on Instagram or S rat too on, on Twitter. Um, you know, and, and, and giving and go, of course that giving go foundation is, is on all that stuff, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So that's probably the best way to keep up with it, uh, right now. And, and, you know, I just encourage, uh, anybody that is listening and that's interested in chatting or, or reaching out, you know, I, I do this stuff all day. I, I love talking mindset and, and leadership and sports and philanthropy. So, um, you know, if anybody is, is hearing this and is and feeling inspired, then, uh, then please do reach out and then let's connect.
0: I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Scott. He's taught me a lot about how our environment and culture helps us reach group flow and accomplish things that we really didn't see possible all the time. His story really confirms that for me. His longevity in the game is a testament of his mindset development work that has been introduced through him or introduced to him through his mom's work, movement This is medicine is one thing that he said that really resonates with me and sticks with me. I'm a firm believer of that as well. And that's why I created the More Than Movement Coaching Program. It's group coaching and it's designed to provide you with the culture and the accountability to perform better in your life. There's movement involved, yes, but we take a holistic approach to life, which like what Scott has found attributed to his success Enrollment is currently open, and I invite you to apply if you're ready to take that next step in your life. You can do so by filling out an application at www.corycamp.com. Let's have a conversation and get to know each other a little bit better. If you haven't done so already, send this episode to a friend, family member, or teammate that could benefit from Scott's story. Stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by following me on Instagram at Corey Camp. And remember, if you can change your mindset and how you think, you'll be able to change your life one thought at a time. I'll see you all next week.